Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program brought to you by Radio New Zealand Sport. On the show this week, the Taranaki Rugby Union tells us why it left the Hurricanes to join the Chiefs. The former All Black Hicker Elliott considers retirement after a serious neck injury, and South Africa wins its own Sevens tournament to honour Nelson Mandela. The coach of the Black Sticks rues his team's performance at the World League Finals, and Daryl Corletto talks up the Breakers' chances on their difficult January road trip. Plus, we hear about the wild cards at next month's Auckland Tennis Classic. The Taranaki Rugby Union is walking out on the Hurricanes and joining the Chiefs' Super Rugby region. The Chiefs' licence has been granted to a group of private investors and six provincial unions to operate the franchise until 2020. Taranaki is buying a share of the licence after being a part of the Hurricanes franchise since the inception of Super Rugby in 1996. New Plymouth will now host two Chiefs matches a season for the next two years. Taranaki Union Chief Executive Mike Collins told Barry Guy there are plenty of advantages in changing franchises. We think that the... um stuff that Taranaki's going to get out of it is two home games over the next couple of years. Uh, we're going to be able to bring uh, top-level rugby to Euro Stadium and um, help foster and grow the game uh, in, in Taranaki. So when the Wellington Rugby Union more or less uh, took over the Hurricanes, that was, you know, did you see perhaps uh, that, you know, that was things weren't good for you? Um, the board uh, sat down and spoke to, to Wellington and the Hurricanes and, and their, their uh, game structure wasn't going to change. Uh, potentially we could have got one game every two to three years and we just felt that um, part of our strategic direction is to is to help foster and grow the game and and to do that we wanted to bring more top-level rugby um, to Taranaki like the All Blacks test that we've successfully run over the past sort of four or five years. So the Chiefs were obviously very um, happy to do that. Yeah, yep. Chiefs are happy to do that over the next couple of years, and um, we'll, we'll we'll go from there. I see there are sponsors or part of the uh, investment is coming out of Taranaki. That's helped also. Yeah, I think so. We've got some um, some pretty savvy businessmen um, involved in the bid that have taken uh, their own stake in the Chiefs, and uh, also want to promote Taranaki as a destination and um, also try and bring top-level sports and entertainment to the area. So do you think everyone in Taranaki will be happy with this move? Uh, look, I don't think everyone will be happy. And, you know, the Taranaki Rugby Union Board, we're not, asking, we're not asking people to come out and support the Chiefs from day dot. Like, we know that we've got a long and um, proud history with the Hurricanes. Um, and that uh, potentially it could take time. It could take some people a very, very, very long time to ever support the Chiefs. But uh, you know, our message is that we want to bring top-level rugby to New Plymouth, and by joining the Chiefs franchise, we believe that we can we've achieved that. What about the players? Uh, I suppose in this professional era, is there actually sort of much allegiance when it comes to a franchise? Oh, look, I think um, you see with uh, the Barretts coming out of Taranaki. Um, you know, especially Bodie, he's got a allegiance to the Hurricanes. 
Um, his father Kevin played there as well. But um, in these days of um, franchise contracting, I think that players are moving to franchises where they're going to get the best opportunity to showcase their skills. So I think that's happening less and less. Um, but you know, potentially it's still still there in, in, in Bodie Barrett's case. Taranaki Union Chief Executive Mike Collins talking to Barry Guy. The Hurricanes Chief Executive James Tapuni says efforts were made to keep Taranaki within the region. He says while the Hurricanes are disappointed about Taranaki's defection, it came as no surprise. To be fair to Taranaki, they'd, they'd signalled uh, to us a year ago that that was their preferred option. We'd put a strong proposal to them and, and hoped that they would go for it, but uh, uh, obviously respect their decision is probably the best, best way to put it. Taranaki have said to us today they can get two games, they can host two games a season with the Chiefs, but they couldn't get that from the Hurricanes. Is that right? In May this year, um, we we wrote to the chief executive and offered uh, offered two games as part of the deal. So I'm not sure where that's coming from. So no, that's that's not right. Uh, they had the option of two games if they wanted it. and um, we were hopeful that uh, that they take it up. But absolutely respect their right to to choose to go another way. What's it going to mean for the Hurricanes to lose the Taranaki Union? I guess the, the obvious thing is that we've got a lot of fans up there who um, who themselves might be disappointed that uh, it makes the the opportunity to see to see the Hurricanes play in New Plymouth a little bit less likely, or certainly it's going to be longer longer between drinks. So, I mean, that's our our first focus actually. Is our our research tells us that uh, that we're still uh, the number one. Uh, team up there in terms of fan support, as you'd expect after 17 or 18 years, and um, and that's probably the you know the the key thing that that concerns us a little bit around it at the moment. But as I say, it's their their right to to make the move. So, any idea how you can hold on to those fans? Oh, I think there've been a couple of things obviously changed in the last few years. One is that the the player contracting market was opened up when New Zealand three or four years ago. Uh, so you've seen players moving around the country as opposed to to being. Uh, captured, if you like, as they used to under the old model. And um, so I think that's already had a bit of an impact in terms of people choosing uh, which Super Rugby team uh, that they support, and they're not limited by where they live geographically. So we've got fans all over the country, as do some of the other Super Rugby clubs in New Zealand. Uh, so we've still got to create the opportunity for people to to access the Hurricanes team and personalities. And I think the other thing is that uh, we still want to see a uh, message to go out that talented players in Taranaki have the option of continuing that 18-year tradition and pulling on the yellow jersey and running out of hurricanes if, if that's their wish. Yeah, it's certainly been a well-trodden path over the years, hasn't it? The likes of Conrad Smith, Jason Eaton, Bowden Barrett coming down here to play their rugby. Do you think that'll change? Uh, well, look, we've still got a strong Taranaki connection. Um, we've still got a very good relationship with the coaching staff, um, and the management, for that matter, uh, within Tananaki Rugby. And so, you know, I'm sure, you know, I was talking to briefly to Michael Collins, the CEO, last week on this, and, uh, you know, I will maintain, I'm sure, a, a positive relationship there. So when you're running an ITM union, um, no ITM CEO is limiting themselves to just one Super Rugby team uh, in terms of where they place their players. Otherwise, frankly, they won't have a competitive team. So I'm sure that we'll see a future Conrad Smith and a future Bowden Barrett coming out of Taranaki. But um, that said, it's, it's obviously um, disappointing that they've made the decision to go with the Chiefs. James Tapuni says without Taranaki, the Hurricanes' remaining eight unions will host more Super Rugby matches, especially Manawatu and Hawke's Bay.
The Chiefs hooker, Hika Elliott, could retire from rugby after undergoing neck surgery. The 27-year-old was suffering from a bulged disc that became acute while playing for the Māori All Blacks against Canada in November. After losing sensation in his legs, surgeons removed the disc and fused the surrounding vertebrae with bone taken from his hip. Now recovering at home, the former All Black says he's reconsidering his playing future. I've been complaining um, about uh, some back problems that I was having prior to meeting up with the Māori team. Canada just got progressively worse and then uh, next thing I know, I was off the During that match, was there an impact? Was there a moment when you thought, oh, something's not right here? Oh, there was a couple of impacts, a um, couple of scrums where I thought, oh, what's going on here? But it just got progressively worse from the kickoff to about the 20th minute when I come off. But by the time I come, it come to the 20th minute when I come off, I um, could hardly walk. So you, you lost sensation in your legs, was that right? Yeah, especially on my right side because most of the, my feeling and stuff went on, was going on my right side, so that was a little bit scary. And what about your hands? Yeah, well, well, that was the same thing, you know, they were getting pins and needles um, through my hands and then um, the coordination started going, so um, I thought something was up. What was the doctor's diagnosis? A bulged disc on my C6, C7. You know, I'd done a, done a, done a pretty bad job on, on my, uh, in terms of the, the severity of the, of the bulged disc, especially with the, with the symptoms they were confronted with, with the, you know, the lack of feeling on my legs, the, the numbing sensation, you know, the the tingles in my spine and, and through my hands. So it took them a while to figure out the, the, the kind of diagnosis they wanted to put on me. You were able to fly home and, and then they had to consider how to deal with it. They were umming and ahhing about being able to fly home. So um, there was quite a few tests I had to do and go through before um, the doctors were satisfied that I could fly. The doctors then had to consider what they were going to do here. What were their options? Um, the options, there was two options, or three options to be honest. There was um, The first option was to wait out and see if the disc repaired itself and, and uh, went back to normal. Or there was, uh, you could have surgery and replace the disc with a new disc. Or do what I've done is um, taken the disc out, um, taken a bone graft from my hip and fused the two bones that the disc was between. So it's nice and strong. Wow, you're sounding quite chirpy for... Oh, I've been chirpy for this whole process, mate. You know, it's people have asked me how have I stayed so positive because it's quite a quite a daunting um, injury in terms of where I've been at the last couple of weeks in terms of my mobility and my coordination. So, you know, a lot of people were looking at me thinking, sheesh, mate, it's going to be a long road back to uh, recovery for you. So, you know, once I had the operation and got all my mobility and my feeling back in my hands and, and the coordination back in, in my movement, then... I'm feeling a lot more confident than I was, I'll tell you, two weeks ago. So tell me then, what does it mean for your future? Um, yeah, that's something that I have to work, mate. Um, you know, so I've, I've just got to see where this um, injury goes, you know, see how the rehab comes along, and then I think um, give it a couple of months and see where we're at in terms of um, my playing future, definitely, because, you know, these kinds of things um, are things that you really don't want to mess with. So the doctors haven't ruled out that you'll play again? Uh, no, not at all. Not at this stage. Um, but like I said, um, given my position, it's something that I really need to think about. So I guess at this stage, Super Rugby's not looking that likely? Yeah, at this stage, I've, I've already conceded that I probably won't take any part in Super Rugby next year, but you know, anything can happen. But um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to rush this injury. I'm sure Tana Umanga and, and Counties would, would love to have you back in the outfit for ITM. Do you think that might be a possibility? You know, I think that's um, probably 
a more realistic possibility if the injury comes comes right and we get a really good rehab program. You know, that's still a little while away, so, um, you know, that could be a real possibility. That was the injured hooker, Hicker Elliott. The South African Rugby Sevens team celebrated the life of Nelson Mandela with victory in the Port Elizabeth round of the World Seven Series. Inspired by the country's former leader who died a few days earlier, the South Africans came from 14 points down to beat New Zealand 17-14 in the final at Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium. While it was great for the home side, New Zealand coach Gordon Titchens told Barry Guy he wasn't happy with the referee. Without making excuses, I... Um until I look at the, the video replay, we certainly, and I know the players weren't, weren't very happy with some of the calls that were made. You know, we got stung in the penalty count and in a, in a final like that, and it was so close, you know, it's uh, it become quite costly and um, probably paid the penalty. There's a lot of emotion in the final. You know, the anthems played before the game and, and obviously the occasion, obviously with Nelson Mandela passing away. And... Um, sell out crowd and there was certainly a lot of South African supporters there they're really wanting a, a box win and and um and that's what it came down to. Uh, great to be involved in the occasion. We're disappointed we didn't we didn't win it but um I felt we'd done enough to win it. Before the final, I said to my colleagues that I think uh, perhaps destiny is written on the wall uh, for this match, just in light of what you've mentioned and what's happened in, in recent days. So did you or DJ, you know, were there particular things said before the final? We, we knew that um, we could silence the crowd if we started really well. And I felt we did that, you know, but um, that symbolism of Tim Mickelson at quite a crucial time was also... You know, quite significant in the fact they they put on seven points while he was on the sideline. And but just prior to that, I thought Scott Curry had secured a steal. They were holding on and holding on. I was waiting for the penalty, but it didn't arrive and it didn't come because then we would have put it into touch and we would have turned around it rather than fourteen twelve ahead, fourteen five ahead. You know, and that's a it's quite a good advantage in a in a final because there's lots of pressure. You know, when you certainly when you're playing catch up. But um, again, I, I, as I said, I um, to be involved in the occasion and to be in the final and uh, was quite special. And um, and again, every South African certainly was cheering for the box. And uh, they were a good side. Don't get me wrong; they played particularly well during the day to get to the final. And uh, and they were in the final in Dubai as well. So they are a good side. And um, like any sevens tournament now, there's, there's six or seven teams that can can certainly push to win a tournament. And um, We've had three tournaments now. We've got three different winners. A month before the next uh, round, so you've got the guys. These are the guys to you know take you through into the second stage of the series. Yeah, Barry, I saw enough in this team that I've got here. You know, there was a lot of resolve from that loss that we got had to Fiji and Dubai, and uh, I thought our defence tonight against South Africa, you know, for long periods of time was simply outstanding, and and I saw enough in the guys to know that we can be a real threat right throughout this World Series and we're going to certainly look to win it back. And uh, Tomasi Tama, who got player of the tournament, DJ Forbes, Tim Nicholson, those guys were the experienced guys. They they put their hand up tonight and uh, and all those younger boys just followed them. And uh, we lost a couple of players through injury. It's become a, quite a, a sport now that's significant for its injuries um, to a lot of teams. I think the Welsh team finished with seven players. And I've got to look at that because you're dealing with player welfare issues now and, uh, you know, very rarely now in back-to-back tournaments do you ever finish with a full complement of players. I mean, uh, so many teams had to send for players. 
and they're only finished with about eight or nine players, and in the worst case, seven players. We had lost two players by the time the final came around, so yeah, it's getting tough out there. And in our game of sevens, of course, um, when you lose a couple of players through injury, as influential as they might be, it changes the dynamics of the game, and your team is certainly weakened in a big way. So um, that's why it can, um, it's so, so important that we, we look at these issues and perhaps try to in, increase our numbers in the squad for two back-to-back tournaments uh, up to at least 14 players, I believe. New Zealand still leads the series by two points from South Africa with Fiji third. The fourth round is in Las Vegas at the end of January. After a disastrous start to the tournament, the New Zealand women's hockey team managed to finish fifth at the World League Finals in Argentina. The Black Sticks lost all three group matches but then won both classification games against Korea and China. Early in the tournament, coach Mark Hager felt some of his players weren't up to international standard. After the event, he was in a better frame of mind but told Barry Guy they still have a long way to go. Uh, yeah, look, I still think we're a long way off the top. When we watch the top four teams, they're, they're another uh, couple of notches above, above us and we know we can play that standard and we're, we're capable of playing that, that hockey. Um, but at the moment, with, when you've got uh, probably five of your regular starters, um, out of the team, it, um, it, it does drop down a little bit. So it's been a, a big learning curve for our young players um, and even some of our middle-of-the-road players as well who, who have probably got more opportunity than they normally have. Um, but, yeah, no, we've, we're under no illusion. Our ranking is going to drop to fifth um, in the world, uh, and that's probably a, a fair indication of where we're at since the Olympics. Yes, I suppose, you know, being forced into being without some of your top players, uh, you know, you can take something from that that you've, You've blooded some some young ones. Yeah, look, um, uh, look. In hindsight, if we, if we reflect on the tournament, if we had a won our first game, we would have uh, against China. We would have um, had a three and three split, um, three wins, three losses, and and again, that's probably a fair, indi- fair indication because um, the first game against China we couldn't score. Um, but yeah, the young ones they they, they got better as the tour tour went on. Um, we saw some good improvements and good learning from them, and. Uh, you know, uh, it, it does. It's going to it's going to help us in the long term. So the little bit of pain that we're going through at the moment, you know, once our injured players um, come back, then you know I think there'll be a really good contest uh, when we come to selection time. Well, so you got the World Cup next year. That's the next thing, is it? Yeah. No. No. We go to we're going to February. Uh, in February, we go to the USA, and we're playing Argentina, England, and US, and then we've got a home Six Nations in the Hawks Bay. Um, and and there we're playing. Um, there's Argentina, Australia, China, Korea, ourselves, and and one more to be determined yet. So um, we're just waiting for that uh, sixth position to finally come through. So uh, uh, yeah, that'll be a really good tournament. And then we've got the World Cup, and then we've got the Commonwealth Games, and then at the end of the year we've got the Champions Trophy. Um, I mean, hockey does pretty well. You can't complain about the the, the matches you get. Or can you? We're very, very fortunate. The number, of, and, and while we're in the top um, eight, then then we get some really good competition. So uh, we've got to maintain that link in there. Uh, if you drop out of that top eight, it's very tough to get back in. So is it is it the top level? You know that that top four teams in the world. Would you need to be playing them more often? Do you think? Yeah, and we try to as much as we can. Now the only issue is Australia won't play us too often. Um, uh, they, they've got the finances to go to Europe and play the European tests. Um, 
which is a little bit disappointing from our point of view. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we do get games against Argentina, and unfortunately our budget doesn't give us the opportunity to go to Europe and lift at the tournament. Um, yeah, we'd love to go and be able to play Germany and Holland and England more often. Um, but we just don't have the finances to be able to do that. So, you know, we, we, we play a lot of Asian teams or we try and play Argentina in four or five tests each year. So just finally, Mark, how do you feel heading into what's probably the biggest year perhaps outside the Olympics? Oh, look, I'm, I'm fairly confident. Um, yeah, we've, we've finished fifth here. So we, we've... We, we've been exposed a little bit, so we know we know really know what we need to do. Um, and uh, so you know, and once we get you know the likes of Stacey Nicholson, Emily Naylor, and and Katie Glenn back into our group, um, that's really going to strengthen our group, and hopefully we can move forward from there. That was the New Zealand women's hockey coach Mark Hager talking to Barry Guy. The New Zealand Breakers shooting guard Daryl Corletto is optimistic about his team's tough stint on the road that's coming up after Christmas. The defending champions take on the top four teams in the league and don't have another home game until the end of January. This season hasn't been going well for the Breakers. They're third from the bottom of the Australian basketball ladder with four wins and eight losses. Corletto told Richard Wayne he's happy with his own form and is convinced the Breakers can turn their season around. So far my stats this year I think have been the best in my career so far, points wise uh, and field goal percentage and you know that, that's a positive but yeah the minutes is um, I guess I'm still trying to find my role, still trying to see where uh, I guess where I fit in uh, with, the, with the coaches. Sometimes you play mid-20s minutes, sometimes you play 15 and a couple of times I've played 11 or 12 and as a player that you know that can be a little bit frustrating not knowing where you you know where you sit but um, you know it's still a process I'm still trying to find things out and um, you know again I'll just come in and if I play one minute or 40 I'm still going to play hard and and do my role for the, for the time I'm out there. You're like starting every week at least? Yeah that, that hasn't changed and um, you know I think that starting group's been getting off to some good starts other than in Perth. Um, Perth kind of jumped us at the start but I think overall we, we've got that right and um, yeah, it's just about believing in each other and uh, respecting the, everything the coach does and, um, and just doing the best we can for each other. Yeah, four and eight's not pretty. We lost five games, I think, by three or less points and last year somehow we found a way to win all those games. Uh, whether it was, you know, Gary's toe was on the line on the weekend with that three-pointer. You know, Gary Irvin trying to miss a free throw, he makes it. Uh, then they get a steal and a layup and win on the buzzer. CJ has a three to win the game in Cairns and it rims out. Mick has a layup against Melbourne and it, it rims out. And You know, there's a lot of close ones and you know, that's the beauty of the game, I guess. That's, that's sport, and you win some, you lose some, and right now we're not winning them. Offensively, we're, we're leading the league, I think, in points, and I think we've got four or five guys averaging double figures, and, you know, we're spreading that round, which is good, but, the, yeah, defensively, we need to tighten that up. Um, there's too many too many errors where we, um, you know, go to Perth a couple of times where some guy, three guys were thinking one thing and two guys were doing something else, and, you know, against quality teams, that's all it takes. It's for not everyone to be on the same page, and, and uh, they hit a three or they... You know, they, they get an one or a layup or something, and they get momentum. And before you know it, it's a you know eight ten point lead. So it's um yeah, it's about being on the same page as each other, and we all have to know, know each other's rules and know what we're doing um, defensively. Just a word on the um, the draw. Every year it seems you have this long stretch at the end of the year where you're not at home. I think it's more than a month between your home games back in January now. I mean, uh, what, what do you sort of make of that? Is, is that fair for the breakers? I guess it's a good test. Um, we're looking at it now as it's a, it's a make or break. It's, um, you know, from Christmas to about mid-January, I always feel that that kind of separates the top four and the bottom four. So going into, uh, I mean, when we come back end of January, I think we need to be in that top four. Um, it's hard to catch up if you're not in there by the end of January. And, 
you know, it's a good test. It's, good. it's going to build character. Four games on the road and they're four quality teams and, you know, we kind of fly there, we get back, we have two days back in Auckland, then we're back on a plane and, we're, you know, we'll, we'll be together a lot for, for three weeks after Christmas. So it's a, it's a big test, but it's something that, um, you know, this group, I'm pretty excited about where we're headed. Even though we've been losing, you know, by, by close margins, I'm pretty excited about um, on where we're going. So pretty confident we'll get those wins and, um, you know, after Christmas, the Breakers always seem to make a run at it. So hopefully it's the same thing this year. That was the Breakers' Daryl Corletto talking to Richard Wayne. Julia Gerges of Germany and Andrea Hlavachkova of the Czech Republic have been given wildcard entries to next month's Auckland Tennis Classic. Hlavachkova is a top 10 doubles player, while Gerges was the second seed at the last Classic, but has had a season blighted by injury. The tournament's director, Carl Budge, told Richard Wayne he's hoping Gerges will be informed for the January tournament. She came here carrying a niggling injury last year and then got horribly sick as well. She's had some, some horrible luck in Auckland. Um, yeah, she's, a, she's a girl that, with her game, could be really dangerous on our courts. Yeah, she's got a huge serve. Yeah, she does hit at over 190 kilometres an hour. She's got a big forehand that, with the speed of our courts, that, that should really suit her game. Um, I'm really hopeful that she comes here injury-free and, and in the right headspace and, uh, and is able to go deep. That's the thing with the, um, the random draw. I mean, you might have her up against your number one seed or, or one of your other stars, mightn't you? Yeah, Monday, Tuesday is a real worry for us at the moment to have both Venus, Julia, another one that plays very good tennis here, and Yanina Wickmer, renowned giant killer Laura Robson, all ranked outside that protected seed. Um, yeah, it's certainly going to make for a, a bit of a sleepless night for me on the Friday night before the draw. So, yeah, we could have an Anna versus Venus first round. The other lady, I thought it was uh, Lavaskova, but it's not. Yeah, it's Andrea Hlavatikova. Yeah, she's more renowned for her doubles. She was a finalist at Bagastian this year in singles. She's a two-time Grand Slam champion at ladies' doubles and also won the mixed doubles in a pretty impressive US Open. She won both ladies' and mixed doubles this year. She's a cracking player and, uh, and helped us secure Lucy Safarova, who's never been here before and a top 30 player. Andrea and, and Lucy are looking to play together this year. Wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, it certainly helps uh, when you can offer a wild card instead of having to offer some, uh, some money to get these players out here. So, like, you're going to have an absolutely cracking doubles draw by the sound of it. What did you say, uh, five top 20 players or something, was it? We're looking at having five of the top 10, which is, um, yeah, our, our doubles field is going to be absolutely cracking. We're, we've got the world number one in Roberta Vinci. Um, Elena Vesnina is world number four in doubles. Andrea is probably a little bit better than that, and her ranking at nine, I think she's at the moment, probably doesn't suggest that. And then we know that Srebrotnik and Petrova are on their way as well. So uh, to have those five, as well as Ivanovic, Gerges, and our own Marina, that doubles line up strong. Do you think the doubles might be a real draw card this year? Yeah, I, I think it really will, particularly if, if Venus decides to play doubles also. You know, she's a tremendous doubles player. When she plays, she wins. It'll be interesting to see what she does in that space, but... It's a little bit overwhelming just how strong the fields have been this year. I, I don't think, uh, if you'd asked me earlier in the year if we we're going to have the fields that we've got, I, I don't know, I would have been as confident as I am now. It's, um, it's been rewarding, so no, it's certainly going to be a, a stellar both singles and doubles lineup. That was the director of the Auckland Classic, Carl Budge, talking to Richard Wayne. That's extra time for this week. You can send your feedback to sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Ben Robinson. Thanks for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. 
To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.